You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Blessing to be with all of you again here for our fifth Sunday of this Paschal season. And uh, we continue to celebrate this great feast together here at the Institute of Catholic Culture. Annie Mitchell, Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen, Father Hezekiah. Well, here we go. Here we we go. Let's just jump into our text right away. Let's go. Let's Let's do it. Okay. The first reading for the fifth Sunday of Easter is Acts chapter 14, verses 21 to 27. Nice. Our responsorial psalm comes from Psalm 145. Our gospel reading is John chapter 13. Get this. So verses 31 to 33a, and then we skip over part B of verse 33 for some reason. And look uh, at that terrible second half of that verse. Terrible, 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 as as Chuck Barkley would say. Um, And so, okay, 31 to 33 a and then verses 34 to 35. And then our second reading is from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses one through five a. You know what you want to do, Annie, like we did last week and uh, do a little flip a ruski here and start with the gospel? Sure. Absolutely. You're calling another audible. Why not? Okay. I mean, we could do it the other way, but this is nice. Start with John 13. Yeah. All right. Let's start with John 13. Here we go. When Judas had left them, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and God will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little while longer. I give you a new commandment. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you also should love one another. This is how all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Yeah. Okay. So well, the first thing is the first thing is what is skipped. And, and you know, this all the time they'll do this. They'll excise a little verse because it's just a little bit of a distraction. Sure. And so this is an example because this is, of course, taking place at the Last Supper. And Jesus is talking about where he's heading, right? Mm-hmm. And where and and the passion and so forth and into death. And he says in verse 33b i said to the jews so now i say to you where i am going you cannot come now that makes a little more sense in the context of the last supper but of course we're not reading this in the context of the last supper necessarily as far as the gospel is concerned sure. in the mass focused liturgically not on the last supper but liturgically on the, the life of the newly baptized christians yeah. right mm-hmm. and then all of us now gather around the table of the lord anyways for what it's worth there it is. Okay. All right. Well, let's continue to get a little bit more context um, while yeah. we're on the topic. So last week, Father, we were in uh, John chapter 10 with the Good Shepherd discourse. So right. now we're in John chapter 13. What has been happening between then and now in the gospel? Well, remember, I pointed out last week that if you, we look at chapter 11, it's the raising of Lazarus. Raising of Lazarus, is, as I said last week, is the bookend of Holy Week with the resurrection, right? So you have two resurrections on either end. And as the church fathers tell us, the resurrection of Lazarus is the announcement of the universal resurrection of all mankind. And so the the raising of Lazarus tells us the truth of what is about to happen, that the resurrection of Jesus is not only for him, 
It's for all of us, yeah? And so now Jesus has made his way, Palm Sunday, of course, there in, in John chapter 12, and then he enters into Jerusalem, chapter 13, now before the Feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, and so forth. And now we're going to enter into the Last Supper. You'll see chapter 13, verse 12, the washing of the feet. And here we are in verse 31 in this, this conversation. I, I'm just going to say in general, if you're reading for context, if you're going to go back and read all of chapter 11, 12, maybe 13 and 14. Um, and this is really Jesus's, uh, um, well, Last Supper discourse, including his high priestly prayer. Right. which can be rather confusing. And I, this, is, this is proclaimed in the Byzantine tradition for the service of the 12 Gospels, and, which has in the midst of it the crucifixion service in the Byzantine tradition. And this whole passage takes us about 25 minutes to proclaim and the church is long. <laughs> I believe okay, and, but I, I point that out only because it has this tendency of like waxing and waning. It's like, Jesus, if you, if you, if you read the whole thing, I encourage you to do so. There's an interesting kind of just kind of human nature level to this in which Jesus says, come on, let's go like time to go to the, for the passion, right? Let's go to the, to the garden of Gethsemane. And then he keeps talking and then he stands up and then he keeps talking. Then he walks to the door and he keeps talking. Right. <laughs> and all the while he's talking to them about one of the, the this the, the really, really, we could say one two themes which really tie together and it's oneness that is communion mm -hmm. so he, he keeps going back between the communion between him and the father the community between him and the apostles right, right. all of this and that communion is placed in the broader context the atmosphere as i like to say of love yeah, yeah. um and so he keeps doing it. and i the, for me as a looking at this as i read this from a spiritual standpoint I, I got to say, it, it really comes across as a friend's last words to his friend. Yeah. Like, you know, if you've got your, if you're dying you, and you got, you pull your son, I, like, like, who am I thinking of in the Old Testament? Tobit. Oh, yes. In the Old Testament, Tobit, when he calls his son Tobias to him, right? Tobit thinks he's going to die. Mm -hmm. And so he calls his son and says, son. And then he's a beautiful words, never turn your face away from any poor man and God will never turn his face away from you. Yeah. I taught this to my children when we were camping, we memorized the verse because it's very beautiful. Like if a father's the last thing he's going to say to his son, he's going to say the most important thing, right? Right. And so similarly here, Jesus says the most important things, but he does it in such a way as the guy who's, who's dying, right? He, sure. he never wants to leave. And I, I was, I was doing a funeral recently. I was celebrating the funeral of a serve, uh, a member of our community, Elias Zumat. And his son was telling the story. He's giving a eulogy and he's telling the story of him, his dad in the hospital. And here his son, Nabil would come and it, it was getting late. He had to go home. So, so his dad would say something he kept saying, I can't remember what he would say in Arabic. He'd say to him, but basically it required a response from Nabil. And so every time he went to turn around to leave, he would say this thing and Nabil would have to stay. And it was this back and forth. And, and, and finally, Nabil just walked out of the room and he's walking down the hallway and he hears his dad yelled it out to him again. And so he turns around and he says, dad, what are you doing? You know, you know, I have to respond to that. And so the point is that Jesus is here talking to his best friends. And I think the best way to read these chapters of John is in that way is wow. as our best friend who's telling us the most important things. And of course, the most important thing in the midst of all this is love Absolutely. and love unites two people together. Yeah. And I want to talk about love and the command, obviously, in just a second. But I just kind of want to know, because it starts off by saying when Judas had left them, Jesus said, mm -hmm. um, is, is Jesus like literally like or intentionally waiting Wait. for judas to leave yeah. and and go off and do what he's going to do before he has I these words for the rest of the apostles yeah i was thinking about that in preparation for us being together today because the way this thing lays out it, you don't like when you normally read this gospel you wouldn't normally start at that point right 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 in fact you would say judas left them and that would kind of be the ending of your thought. And then you kind of start a new thought. So then Jesus goes and does this other thing. 
But here, the way that this thing is kind of cut, which is kind of awkward, yeah, it actually highlights a very interesting thing, which is what you're, you're asking. So what do I do, Father Hezekiah, when I have a question like this? I always return to the church fathers, because if I've got a question, I can guarantee you they asked the question. Sure enough, yeah. they did. Yeah. Oh, listen to what good. listen to what origin has to say about this. He says, after the glory of his miracles and his transfiguration, the next glorifying of the son of man began when Judas went out with Satan who huh. had entered into him. So he, so origin wow. confirms is yes. The glorification that is now about to take place is dependent upon Judas. And I, it's not interesting. Yeah. So now you say, what is that glorification? What is, what, what is about to happen? Well, we can certainly focus upon G, on the cross at what she's about to do. And, and as we should, yes. Sure. But I don't even think we have to go that far as to the words would now follow. And so I begin to ask that question. If origin's right, then what, then what is Jesus saying right now that is dependent upon Judas leaving or, or how is it that Judas leaving triggers what Jesus says now? And, it, and I think, I think this is what, what Origen's getting after. He says, if God is, okay, let me go back to the beginning. When Judas had left them, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and God will glorify him at once. So, it's rather confusing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's is. be honest. Let's be honest. Okay. It's a so, lot of yeah. I think it was Saint. Is it Saint Irenaeus? It says that the glory. I think I quoted this a few weeks ago, which is why I didn't go back and look. But I think it's Saint Irenaeus. The 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 glory of God is man fully alive. Hmm. Okay. So we're going to yeah. start with this, and all those are taking notes today. I'm going to give you a little mini Bible study in the middle of our Bible study. Okay. Oh, so you're going to get nice. a pen, piece of paper, because I received a phone call today that actually highlights this point, a question that a friend of the Institute of Catholic Culture asked me in a conversation with a friend of theirs regarding the lives of the saints. I'll flesh that out in just a minute if I remember to do so, but take out a pen and paper because I want you to write this down because it's a really kind of, I would say the core, a core Bible study to all of the Bible and all of what Jesus is doing right here in the midst of the Last Supper discourse. If Irenaeus is right, that the glory of God is man fully alive, or I should say not if Irenaeus is right, but what does he mean by that? Yeah. The glory of God is man fully alive. Well, what is man fully alive? Well, he's going to say that. He's going to say, he's going to go on the next sentence. Irenaeus is going to say the life of man is the vision of God. And of course, vision Ooh. is a philosophical way of saying, communion because when i see right. something i am united to it right i can close my eyes right now i can see my front door i can see the face of my daughter i can see the my my car i can see my church right i can i can see annie mitchell even though my eyes are closed i know what she looks like i know what she's wearing today because i was just looking at her and this is a great gift god gives us in this gift of sight right and this is why we in the in the scriptures we talk about seeing as knowledge the two go hand in hand right I think Aquinas said that it was the highest sense. I think I learned that from yeah. Dr. Cutterback. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, well, all of the senses give us communion with the thing, but seeing is the most profound one, right? So, yeah. so if I if I have the vision of God, I'm I'm com I'm in communion with Him, right? The life of man is the vision of God, or the life of man is communion with God because now God's life becomes our life. Yes. Right. Right. All right. So let's go back to the first the first statement. The glory of God is meant fully alive, which means the glory of God is man on, on fire with God's life, right? Is man fully alive is man in communion with God. So, so now we can start to, uh, so, to, to understand this point that God is the glory of God, meaning the Lord fully revealed like, is not the Lord in himself in a in a selfish kind of way but is actually god being god yeah what do i mean by that turn with me as i've done i know i've done this passage with you a hundred thousand times guys but i'm gonna i'm gonna get tired of doing it it's gonna go to first john i was gonna guess that yep we're going there and if you're tired Let's of me do it. doing it well i'm sorry get tired of jesus <laughs> okay first john chapter four verse nine First John chapter four, verse nine. First John, that's the epistle, not of course the gospel, right? Right. First John chapter four, 
verse 9, in this, the, in this, the love of God, I'm sorry, I misread that. Verse 8, verse 8. Go back to verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. Now, this is exactly what Jesus is going to say, right? A new commandment I give you, love one another. There it is. Yeah. Why? For love is of God. And he who loves is born of God and knows God. Now, this is very interesting when Irenaeus, right? The whole vision of God and the communion with God, right? For God is love, right? Okay, Mm -hmm. now you know my next question is going to be, right, Annie? What is love? What is love, right? And Jesus is going to tell us what love is in John chapter 15. So let's go back to the gospel of John chapter 15, verse well, chapter 15, you go to verse 12 and following, Annie, mm-hmm. go ahead and read that for us. This is now, of course, later on in this same discourse, yeah. just a few chapters later, right? So Jesus keeps talking about love, but here he gives it, fleshes it out. Go ahead. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Okay, so there you go. So the love is the, go ahead, Annie. Giving of your life to the beloved. Bingo. Okay. A good father Hezekiah's disciple over there, Annie Mitchell. And uh, thank you. Right. Exactly. Okay. And then of course uh, we can look at one other passage and that's Matthew chapter 22. So you're writing these down, right guys? You're going to write these down and you're going to staple them to the front of your, uh, of your frontal lobe of your brain and you're not going to lose this matthew chapter 22 verse 34 go ahead but when the pharisees heard that he had silenced the sadducees they came together and one of them a lawyer asked him a question to test him teacher which is the great commandment in the law And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. All right. Now, and of course, the lawyer understands this because this is the fundamental teaching of the entire, the foundation of the entire Bible. Right. Because it's who God is, right? Theocentric theology, God-centered theology, right? right? Theocentric scripture study who God is, once we know who he is, then we can begin to know who we are made in his image and after his likeness, right? So now I want to go back up to Judas and why why now? Why does Origen say this? The next glorifying of the Son of Man began when Judas went out with Satan, right? Because what's Judas going out to do? Betray him. To betray him, right? And the betrayal is going to give Jesus the opportunity. In fact, we say this in the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, which I have a copy of. Ooh, yes. Bingo. Nice. Right here. You know, it's only in 2022 that the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom comes to us on paperback. Yeah. Pretty um, nice. And Pretty nice. it happens to be open to the right page. In the Eucharistic prayer, it says this. When he had come and fulfilled all that was appointed for him, him to do for our sake on the night on which he was delivered up. Right. So now we're talking about Judas here. Comma, or rather delivered himself up for the life of the world. Mm. Yeah. So while Judas goes out to betray him, it's not so much what Judas did to him is what Jesus did with what Judas did to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't this right. true about in our moral life? It's not so much what people do to us. It's what we do with what people do to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so what did Jesus do with what Judas did to him? He turned the evil of the devil into an opportunity to give his life. This is my father always said when I get frustrated with things, frustrated with other people that didn't think were treating me right. He always said, kill them with your love. Yeah. And what do you mean by that was kill their hatred with your love because hatred is a lack of love. Just as death is a lack of life. Right. Mm -hmm. And when you put life into death, you destroy the nature of death itself, which is why Jesus destroyed death when he entered into it. Yeah. Reminds me of Romans 12, right? Isn't that the 
kill them with kindness, you know, like exactly. they'll put burning, heaping hot coals on their head or something like that. That's what I like to do to my enemies. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, <laughs> exactly. So, right. So, so, so okay. So this it. is, this is the point of what the connection with Judas, right? Judas in a sense becomes the opportunity for the revelation of the depth and breadth of God's love for us. And then Jesus then says, I give you a new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. He's not just talking about like giving out flowers, right? Right. How did he love us by the sacrifice of his, of his life for us? I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm going to share with you an extended quotation from St. Cyril of Alexandria. Yes. Is that okay? I I love St. Cyril of Alexandria. How can you not? He plainly indicates the novelty involved in his command here. And the extent to which the love he enjoins here surpasses the old idea of mutual love. By adding the words, even as I have loved you, you also should love one another. The law of Moses mandated the necessity of loving our brothers as ourselves. Yet our Lord Jesus, the Christ, loved us far more than he loved himself. Otherwise, he would have never descended to our humiliation from from his original exaltation in the form of God and on equality with God, the father, nor would he have undergone for our sakes, the exceptional bitterness of his death in the flesh, nor have submitted to, to beatings from the Jews to shame, to derision and all his other sufferings too numerous to be mentioned being rich. He would never have become poor. If he had not loved us far more than he loved himself. It was indeed something new for, for love to go as far as that Christ commands us to love as he did putting neither reputation, wealth, or anything else before love of our brothers and sisters. If need be, we even need to be prepared to face death for our neighbor's salvation. And here, I'm going to stop for a second to say, pay attention, because we're about to look at Acts of the Apostles here in our study. He says, if need be, we even need to be prepared to face death for our neighbor's salvation, as our Savior's blessed disciples did as well as those who follow in his footsteps. To them, the salvation of others mattered more than their own lives. They were ready to do anything to, or to suffer anything to save souls that were perishing. Yes? So okay. this is, I wanted to ask what was new about this commandment. Um, and I guess that that's the answer there is that it's to love as Jesus loved to love as God loves. Now, yeah. I'm not going to make a distinction, obviously, I'm not a heretic, sure. right? yeah. but I, I want to be very careful that we are not limiting, we are not limiting the love which he calls us to, to the cross, although sure. I could limit it to that if I understand the cross correctly. Right. The, the most important thing is that what happens on the cross is the revelation of the eternal love of God, of who he is in himself. Now this opportunity for him to show this forth on the cross to which he goes willingly. Yeah. Yeah. The love, which he calls the disciples into and the love he calls us into is nothing less than a divine love. Yes. As St. Peter says, when we are baptized, we are given a new nature. Natures do things. Yeah. Doggy nature barks. I've said this a hundred thousand times. Yeah. God nature, divine nature does divine kind of things. And what does divine nature do? It loves in this way that is way beyond, I mean, you and I as human beings, right? It's only Mm -hmm. in the total divinization of ourselves that we're going to discover that we have discovered and will discover the, the, the depth and breadth of what this really means. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's that. There's that point. Can I go back to this phone call I received? Because I think it's, I, I do, I want to. Oh, yeah, I was going to, I was going to, oh, I was going to make sure to yeah. remind you. I knew people yeah. were going to wonder. It's this. So the basic thing was an ICC friend called and said, hey, I've got a friend who struggles with the devotion that Catholics have to saints. Mm-hmm. And said, and said, as is common, listen, listen, someone's, someone's getting word in the ear and messing up the brain cells. Okay. And it's this, that the glorification of the saints takes away from the glory of God. Right. And my I've head blew before. off, Yeah. right? Because the glory of God is man fully alive. Right. And here in what we've talked about, this little Bible study, 
John 15, 13, Matthew 22, 36, 1 John 4, 7 is the, and here John 13, 31, is the, the key that unlocks the door of the saints. And that's not just for those that have gone to heaven and been declared as saints, for all of us who have been baptized into Christ, the saints of God's family, right? Those who are participating in who and what he is, in the holiness of God. Those are the saints. God's glory is not diminished by man fully alive. It is the revelation of God and who he is. It is God's glory. Do you see this? Yeah. yeah. Well, I see it. Yeah. I gave, you know what? She was asking me for a talk at the Institute. And I was like, every time I talk at the Institute, this is what I talk about. But you know what a great talk on this is, is our talk on the dormition or the, the assumption of Mary. Ooh, yeah. I got a big piece in there on the assumption of Mary regarding why Mary and her assumption does not diminish the glory of God, but actually is the evidence and revelation of it. Let's move on, Annie. Yeah, well, speaking of the glory of God, we see it happening in the first reading. So shall we move on to that? Let's, let's do it. I should have said one thing about the newly baptized. And this is. Oh, sure. This, yeah. Simply, yeah, I guess. Yeah, that would that would be one final question that I have for you about this. Okay. Like, why are we reading this in the Easter season? Yeah, well, I, but but, you know, I think that's it's obvious, right? The, the life that has been given to us now is revealed to us on the cross. The life of the new Christian is just this, is, is a life of, of love, of loving communion. And it's tough. And it's going to lead through the cross, as we're going to see in just a minute. It's going to come with trials and tribulation. Yeah? And the yeah. devil hates the revelation of the communion of God. And when I love my brother, I reveal the life of the Trinity. This is what art love is all about. It's a created reality. God has given us this ability to reveal on earth the communion of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in our relationship with one another. And when that happens, the devil hates it, so he tries to destroy it, which is why divorce is rampant today, because the evil one wants to destroy marriage, because marriage is meant to be revelatory of the communion of God. Mm -hmm. So new Christians, old Christians, if you're taking life seriously as a Christian, look out. The devil will attack your relationships. Guaranteed. Well, with on that happy note. Yes. Let's welcome, move on. Welcome to the <laughs> welcome to, the to Christianity, folks. Right. All right. Come on. Let's go. Otherwise, we're going to run out of time. All right. Here we go. First reading is Acts chapter 14, verses 21 to 27. After Paul and Barnabas. Whoa, what? Annie, Annie, you got to let people get there. Whoa. I'm sorry. Acts chapter 14. We're starting with what verse? Verse 21. All right. Now you can go. Are you there? You ready? Yeah. Okay, good. All right. After Paul and Barnabas had proclaimed the good news to that city and made a considerable number of disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. They strengthened the spirit of the disciples and exhorted them to persevere in the faith, saying, it is necessary for us to undergo many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. They appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting commended them to the Lord in whom they had put their faith. Then they traveled through Pisidia and reached Pamphylia. After proclaiming the word at Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had now accomplished. And when they arrived, they called the church together and reported what God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Nice. Let's Very pull cool. up our map right away, okay. just because we can. Yeah. Look at this. So we were talking about this last week, right? Annie? Yeah. We, we, we sail from I think we started. Yeah. We were going up to Perga and maybe to Antioch and Iconium last week. Perga, exactly. Antioch. And at the end of our reading, it said last week, it said they went to Iconium. So they were in Antioch of Pisidia, right? Not Antioch mm -hmm. in Syria, right. right? But Antioch up here. All right. Look at verse 52. 51 
See, but they shook off the dust from their feet again and went to Iconium. So they were, that was, they were in Antioch of Pisidia. They had a bit of a rough time. Things didn't go just so, you know, honky dory. Right. And so they go to Iconium and I, Iconium, they've got some more problems. Look at verse two. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brethren. So they remained, they remained for a long time speaking boldly and then end up in verse six. They learned of it. that They were going to kill them. And then they, then they fled to Lystra and Derby, right? Okay, Here so we go. Lystra, Lystra and Derby. Derby. Now at Lystra, so they haven't made it to Derby yet. So at Lystra, this whole thing goes here. They, well, things go from bad to good, but you know what? In a weird kind of way, these yeah. guys show up, look at verse eight through 18. They heal a guy who's a paralytic. Mm-hmm. And these people in Lystra must have been rather pious pagans because all of a sudden they're like, oh, Lord, <laughs> Zeus has arrived. And they're like, these guys are gods. So you see, it's really, it's kind of funny, actually. Let's read it because it's just so fun. Okay. Verse eight. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was a cripple from birth who had never walked. And he listened to Paul speaking. Paul looked intently at him, seen his faith to be, and so forth. So I stand up and he sprang up in, in verse 11. When the crowd saw it, Paul, but Paul, they lifted up their voices saying, uh, lice, lice, in, in life, say whatever you, you pronounce that. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. <laughs> Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul. Okay. Wow. So they're like, so they're, oh, they're they like call Hermes. Hermes. Yeah. Wow. They're like, these guys yeah. are like, the gods. But then of course, things are going to go bad again for them because in verse 19, the Jews came there from Antioch and Iconium, pull the map back up. So they're like, they're chasing them. Now they go to Lystra and all of a sudden these people that wanted to worship them as gods turn on them and they stoned Paul. Oh gosh. (laughs) So, you know, they liked Jesus too for a little while and then they crucified him. So they liked it. They liked Paul and Barnabas a little while, but then it's like being a pastor. You first come as your pastor, everybody's like, we love you father. And then before you know it, because you're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, nobody wants to change their life. Right. Then they want to stone you, you know? (laughs) So to all the pastors out there that are watching this Bible study, God bless you. God bless Uh, you. Lystra. And then what do they do? They flee to Derby. Okay. Right down there in verse 20. At the end of verse 20, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they turn around and now they're going to go back. They're going to go to Lystra mm-hmm. mentioned here in our reading Lystra. Then they're going to go to Iconium. Okay. <clears throat> then they're going to go to Antioch in Pisidia. Pisidia. Yeah. Then they're going to go to Pamphylia. Well, well, Not Pamphylia really. is kind of a big region. Yeah. It, it says Pamphylia. Here. I'm sorry. It says through Pamphylia, I think here. Oh, okay. okay. And yeah. then, and, and Perga. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Attila. And eventually they're going to go sail. And then back boom, to back this to other Antioch. Antioch, which is in Syria, which is where the followers of, her, of Christ were first called Christians. It's a big right. center of Christianity. It's where the Melkite church comes from. It's where Peter was first bishop before he went to Rome. Yeah. So St. Peter was Melkite before he was Roman Catholic, which means that the Ro- the, the diocese of Rome is a missionary diocese that's of the awesome. Melkite church. Yeah. I'm, Good just, to know. I'm just kidding. Little learning oh. lesson. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Listen, a little, brother, little brotherly love there. Okay. So there you have it. So um, yeah, who knew exactly. So there's our, our geographic background and you say, father has guys, what does it have to do with my spiritual life? It has everything to do with our spiritual life because it is in this struggle here, this, this tra- these travels that we learn that same thing. Jesus willingly went to the cross, right? So, so I'll, I'll just, just read that again. When he came time for him, the night on which he was delivered up, or rather delivered himself up, right? So when it came time for the apostles to travel, they knew they were getting themselves into. They knew they were going to be stoned. Or people were going to try to stone them. It wasn't the first time. This, it, Paul was going to be killed for what he said, but he never stopped. Yeah. And then look at what he says here. They strengthened the spirits of the disciples, exhorted them to preserve the faith, saying, It is necessary 
for us to undergo many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And I was- Yeah, let me stop you there because like, how does that, (laughs) it seems kind of odd to strengthen spirits of disciples saying it's necessary to undergo hardships to enter the kingdom of God. It's amazing to me that they made disciples saying stuff like that. There's, There's a couple of ways we can look at this. That number one, the evil one is always going to attack us when we're trying to enter the kingdom of God, right? Now, have they already entered the kingdom of God, Annie? The apostles? Well, I mean, I guess it depends on how you're talking about it. The kingdom of God is- How do you enter the kingdom of- How do you enter the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God, Annie? There- Why would you ask me such a question? There are so many answers to that, aren't there? Well, there's actually not that many answers to it, but I'm going to- Because it's very important for us here in our Bible study. The kingdom of God is- the life of the Holy Trinity. Hmm. Hmm? And we enter into that kingdom through the sacrament. How does, G- How does Jesus say to Nicodemus that he's going to enter the through kingdom baptism. of God? Through yeah. baptism, right? right? Through water, the, the being born again of water and the spirit, right? Right. We are born into, and St. Paul says in Romans 6 that, that when we are baptized, we're baptized into Christ. And of course, when he says that, it means we are also put into the communion of the Holy Trinity, right? If we are in Christ, we're in communion with the Father and the Holy Spirit. We're living this life of loving communion now in the Holy Trinity, which is the eternal church, as St. Porfirio says, right? The church is the communion of believers, the church on earth, the communion of believers who have been baptized into Christ and now are participating in the eternal church, the eternal community of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay? So the kingdom of God is this communion of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit into which I now am incorporated and allowed to participate, okay? Have I entered into that kingdom? Yes. Yes. Then why does St. Paul says, it is necessary for us to negotiate in order to enter the kingdom of God, as though they haven't entered it yet. Hmm. Why? Because while we enjoy our entrance into the kingdom now, the fullness of that kingdom is yet to be revealed in the future, yes? So there's always in Christianity this, this now and not yet, yeah? Uh, we have been elevated to the right hand of the Father right? in our human nature in Christ. And through our baptism already, we have enjoyed, we've, we, we enjoy the kingdom which is to come, right? The kingdom is at hand, Saint, uh, Jesus says. It is at hand, right? right. And, yet, and yet, there's a not yet, yeah? And so that, that not yet is this hardship. Why? Number one, because the devil's going to stop, try to stop us. And number two, because our hearts are divided. Yeah. 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 And the world, as we know it is ultimately, as Jesus says, if it hated, if it hates you, it hated me first. Right. And so there's always this struggle for the Christian and the, the, the point about our, uh, uh, we are a fallen human nature, that our heart is divided is, is fundamentally important. And that is, it's the, because of the fall, it requires the cross to get to the resurrection, right? right? No one's going to rise from the dead without first died with Christ, but that's only true and necessary because of the fall. I say it's only true and necessary because of the fall, but there is a beautiful mystery of this, this self-giving love in God himself, right? And there's a dying to self in love. So this, this truth almost is, is, we can talk about it as an eternal truth, but it's made present now in, in, our, in, our, in our lives due to the fall and due to sin. And now it hurts to die to ourselves and live for God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's all sorts of levels to this thing, but listen to St. John Chrysostom because he always says it better than I can. Ready? The just person's entire life is tribulation. Hmm, that's nice. Yeah. Both straight and narrow the way, and many are the tribulations of the just ones. Therefore, the apostles elsewhere say that he has been afflicted in every way, and here that we must enter the kingdom of God through many afflictions. God does, and here's the here's biggest lesson, uh, learning lesson for us. Ready? God does rescue the holy from affliction, but he does so not by rendering them untested, but by blessing them with endurance. Mm. For if affliction brings about endurance, then endurance brings about an approved character. As St. Paul says, whoever rejects affliction deprives himself of approval. 
just as none is crowned who is who, who has no rival yeah can't win unless you're fighting right right yeah. So no, so none can be pronounced worthy except through tribulation. Therefore, he snatched me from all my tribulations, not by allowing me not to be afflicted, but by granting me with the test a way out in order to be able to endure hmm. what is to come. Isn't that beautiful? It's, it's, yeah. And it's so true, right? We, we are likened to Christ in our afflictions. And so, as we said last week, the apostles went joyfully out while they were being persecuted mm-hmm. yeah well and and like you were saying with that that not yet part of the kingdom i mean we see what awaits us if we do persevere right mm-hmm. when we when we read the second reading from yeah. from revelation 21 well, uh, yeah not only not only in reading that annie but but looking around ourselves at church on sunday because oh, this yeah. is the kingdom restored right Absolutely. We are already enjoying what it is like for creation to be transformed, which is what it's all about, right? We are enjoying what is to come now. I gave a talk recently on mystagogy mm-hmm. and the life of the church. If this idea of the kingdom present now and yet to come is interesting to you, go and listen at least to the first half of that talk. This is one of the most beautiful doctrines and most fascinating for me in all of Christianity and that is the, the presence of the kingdom in Christ now with us, God with us, and yet still to come. We live receiving these gifts that we are to receive in the future, but now under the form of, of, of a veil, right? Mm-hmm. As, as uh, Father Stephen Freeman says, we eat um, now a meal which has not yet been eaten. Ooh interesting okay i talk about that in that that talk if you're more interested in that but yes here we are in revelation chapter 21 right verses one through five annie yeah would you like to read it all right then i john saw a new heaven and a new earth the former heaven and the former earth had passed away and the sea was no more i also saw the holy city a new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, God's dwelling is with the human race. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will always be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death or mourning, wailing or pain for the old order has passed away. The one who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. Hmm. Hard to read that without getting emotional, isn't it? Yeah, it's so So beautiful. beautiful. So so beautiful. beautiful. God is so good. (laughs) Yes. And um, I'm going to encourage you to read all of chapter 21 and read it in terms of what we were just talking about, about the revelation now, right? Because... As you read chapter 21, you realize that the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, is nothing other than the bride of the lamb. Mm. And of course, the bride of the lamb um, is the church, the church, as St. Paul says in Ephesians chapter Mm five, verse 21 and following, you can go and read that. Okay. And so I ask you. Is the church present now? Yes. So what's going to happen? The church is going to go up to heaven and come back down to earth? Yeah, totally. Or is St. John having a vision of what has already and is taking place? Already happening. Yeah. Is death destroyed, Annie? Yeah. St. Paul says in Romans chapter six, Christ having died once, death no longer has dominion over him. So death is already destroyed. For the Christians who have been baptized into Jesus, death is no more. It's been thrown into the lake of fire. Yeah. And then, and yet, and yet we can see how prophetic John is in a sense of this, this, this grasping what is to come to be fully revealed. Because remember, I was talking the last few weeks that the book of Revelation is John's, all of a sudden he's celebrating liturgy and the whole thing opens up and he sees he sees all of the, the veils that are in the liturgy, right? All those things which we normally put there so that we can see physically the immaterial realities, suddenly, bluey, 
and he sees through them and he sees the heavenly reality. He sees the angels. No more the statues around you on the side of the church. It's the saints, right? This is why. Yeah. Can I have a little, a little side note about the God forsaken, disgusting attempt at building churches today that are so horrific in that they strip the holy images out of the church. Yes. Getting rid of the statues, getting rid of the icons. Those statues and icons are there to give you physical representation of the reality that is there. Because if Christ is there, then his, his, his blessed mother is there. And if his blessed mother is there, his apostles are there. Mm -hmm. We'll never leave her side. Yes. Yeah. And if they're there, all the saints, all the friends of Jesus Christ are there. You know, when we're at church on Sunday, when we're at mass together as a community, to our right and left are the holy angels. St. Joseph is there. The statue is there to remind you of his presence. He's here with us. Yeah. Praising the lamb, giving glory to God. And so St. John sees all of this happen. This whole book of Revelation we've been looking at over the last few weeks is all of this. And, and now... The whole thing opens up. And what does John see? The restoration of all things, which is the reestablishment of the Garden of Eden. Take a look at chapter 22, verse 1, and we're going to come back. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, right? Book of Genesis, chapter 2. Flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city and also on either side of the river, this is the tree of life. Genesis chapter two, with this 12 kinds of fruit yield its fruit each month from the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations and so forth. Okay. And so now at the end of all things, John, having seen everything says, this is what it looks like. And it's Genesis all over again, right? It's the bringing back to the way things are supposed to be. Yeah. And so now we can read this passage and understand why John is saying what he's saying. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven, the first earth passed away and the sea was no more. Why was the sea no more? What's in the sea? What's wrong with the sea? I like the sea. Don't you like going to the ocean? Yeah, I like the, yeah. Yeah. What's wrong with the sea, Annie? It's kind of turbulent. Kind of turbulent. Yeah. Who else? What else? Wavy. Salvation history. Who yeah. died in the sea? Who died in the water? The Egyptians. Yeah. Who else? Yeah. The sinful people at the time of Noah, right? Yeah. Yeah, the water for the people of the of the the, uh, the ancient world, for the biblical people, right, for the for the Jews, the water, the sea was the place of death, which is why we baptize by immersion in the church, right? We place the child underneath the waters, covering them over because the water is the place of death. J Jesus goes down into the Jordan River to put our old nature to death, right? Coming forth, man fully restored in the image and likeness of God, revealing on earth man as a child of God, as a son of God. Yeah. And so now the sea is no more because why? Look at verse four, uh, chapter 20, verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Yeah. They're thrown in and now it's gone. Yeah. And then he sees the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is the church. And I heard a great voice from heaven, the throne saying, behold, the dwelling of God is with men, right? And this is the most beautiful thing of all. Now, as God walked in the cool of the day in the garden, so now he walks in our midst once again. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them. And then, yes, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more because death is the cause of, of tears and neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor any more, for the former things have passed away. And you keep reading now this passage because we, he sees the bride, verse 9, verse 9, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And the spirit, he carried me away to the great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God as its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall and 12 gates and the 12 angels on the gates and so forth and so forth and so on. And, so and verse 14, and on the wall of the city had the 12 foundations, sorry, and, and, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The 12 apostles, of course, are the foundation stones of the church. 
right. upon which the church is built. Because why? Because the church is you and me. And we are stones being built together into the kingdom of God in which Jesus can come and dwell in our midst within us. Yeah? This is the beautiful message or, or vision that is given to the newly baptized then and to all of us to say, look, you've been given a new, new eyes to see you've been baptized into Christ. Nicodemus, you cannot see the kingdom unless you've been born again of water and the spirit. But now that you have been born again of water in the spirit, Nicodemus, and all of you, open your eyes to see what is around you. Your, 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 your gathering on Sunday is not something you're looking forward to leaving by checking your watch and your cell phone to see who texted you. Yeah? Your gathering on Sunday is not a vending machine in which I come and get what I want, namely communion, so that I can leave and be the first one out of the parking lot. Yeah? Your communion on Sunday, your gathering on Sunday is not an obligation by which you have to come so that you can check the box and make sure you got there on time and get out as soon as you can and then get back to the regular day life. Your communion and gathering on Sunday is your life. It is what your life is all about. And everything else in your life must lead to it and lead from it. Otherwise, what's out there is nonsense. Or you're making nonsense about what is in here. But here we see what life is all about. Gathered around the lamb, we have communion with one another. We share a common life in which we can love one another, as Jesus says in the gospel. And having loved one another, then the life of the Trinity is revealed on earth. And now the new heavens or the heavens and the earth can become one. For the dwelling of God is with men. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever. And unto ages of ages. Amen. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.